Now it's time for Inspirational Women. Certified life coach, abuse survivor, and advocate, Concepta McNamara, author of Freedom, which discusses her personal journey, the impact of physical and emotional abuse, and the role forgiveness has in healing, joins us for a very important and timely conversation. So, Concepta, good morning, and thank you greatly for being with us. Good morning, Kate, and thank you so much for this opportunity. This is a subject area that's sadly affecting too many people and, dare I say, during this pandemic time, uh, has only exacerbated what was already a bad situation. Is that a good way to look at it? Absolutely. I definitely think it's brought more of it to light. But like you said, I think it's been going on for many, many years. It has, and it, you know, it's almost like with mental illness, which has a stigma that people don't want to talk about it. If I don't acknowledge it, it doesn't exist. So it is with domestic abuse and domestic violence. It's like, no, we don't want to acknowledge it. Everyone's just happy and, you know, let's uh, paste the smile on our faces. But you know, what does that do but make the situation worse? Absolutely. It absolutely makes it worse. I always think that it's it's really, it seems to only happen to people that have a, a real distorted story that they tell themselves. And I find with a lot of the clients that I work with and my own experience, a lot of this derives in our childhood, which many people don't even get the opportunity to address or look at, you know, until much later in life. If they even do it at that point. Yes. Right. But yeah. But yes, that that's right. These things begin early, and uh, somehow we we need to spin a story because we think it, we need to look like someone else, and and they're only spinning a story as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and many of us, including myself, you know, tried to drown it out with alcohol or drugs, and many turned to food or sex, and it's just all avoidance of you know, feeling what we've experienced, you know, as kids and, and the trauma. And it just spins into so many other aspects. You know, many people get married young and that's a new mask. Other people get PhDs and that's another mask or they go into various different types of roles and jobs and some of them are all masks to to what they're hiding. I, I call it hidden luggage. It's probably going to be something else I'll write about down the road. We all carry hidden luggage. Yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I remember from a seminar so many years ago, the luggage was, uh, you know, depicted as this backpack and we're climbing a mountain. But we don't mm -hmm. know the backpack is there and we wonder why are we struggling so much? It's that hidden luggage, isn't it? Yes, it is. So... The thing is, you have experienced it, Concepta, and you're now working as a life coach. You, you've been, I, I'm going to say, you're working on your healing because it's not something that we ever really finish, is it? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. When I read back through my journaling, I remember writing, I think I was still drinking at the time, but I believed I will never not feel this. And it was just, and you know shame and guilt and I had a few f-bombs in there too and I really believed that at the time 
but now 30 years into my recovery and sobriety, there isn't a single thing today that I would change from what I feel inside. And I can honestly say to you, I do not remember the last time I had a a bad day. A lot of people don't believe that, and that's okay. (laughs) But I always say the first 20 years were just so unlived life that the last 30 have been lived and amazing. Not all, you know, beautiful or, you know, wonderful days, but they were lived days. And I cannot say that about my past. So share with us for you so that others may relate with this. What What is the, the point at which you said that we will say, okay, I, I cannot go on with it this way. Something needs to change. I had it in my mind that I actually at the age of 17, 18, I, I was leaving Ireland and coming to America. And I truly believed, and I've written this, and I, told, I believed it was my truth. I really didn't think I'd get past the age of 21. And that was very comforting for me. And I wasn't walking around like suicidal or anything like that. I just found a lot of comfort in that. I don't know what I thought about 21 was going to be, but I remember waking up at 22 and thinking, oh, I'm still here. (laughs) Yikes. Oh, and, and it's like now I had to like write a new script. And it was in March, about three days before St. Patrick's Day. And it had to have been some kind of a you know, a spiritual awakening, because it certainly wasn't something I decided. It wasn't very much anything different that day. You know, another night of drinking, blacking out. And and I remember waking up on, on a Wednesday and just being so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And uh, I truly believe there were beautiful souls put in my life months before that who were in recovery and I didn't know it. And they would you know, be planting the seed, which again, I didn't know it. And I don't even think they knew it. But I started to hear them talk about what I would have done the night before, done two weeks ago, they'd be talking about their drinking and blacking out. And um, it really wasn't until I got sober, that I was able to really see how much damage I had lived through. And it took quite a while, I was probably about a year sober before Maybe like nine months sober, I think the first time I read a book called Healing the Shame That Binds You by, I think it was John Bradshaw. And inside that book, there was a description of abuse. And I literally remember I wasn't able to put it down and I wasn't able to stop reading it. I wasn't able to stop crying, but it validated for the first time in my life what I had gone through was abuse. And that was probably the beginning of, of a whole new journey for me. And naming it. Naming it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, so this book was, well, your friends along the way, then this book was really then right there that saying that they have uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yes. Right. And, I had purchased the book at least six months earlier, but didn't read it. Mm-hmm. Why did I that night? I, I look back now and I needed to have at least seven or eight. I think it was nine months of sobriety onto my belt before I was actually able to put the words. Had I read that earlier, I might have wanted to drink, you know. So I just feel that I 
was able to somehow read it. And then instead of drinking and numbing it, that propelled me to seek out some outside help. And I found a, a counselor that I worked with for the next 17 years. That is some journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eight of those years had uh, two stents of four years of group therapy, which I think ultimately for me was what helped me the most because I learned how to deal with all kinds of attitudes, all kinds of questions. It's like we live in your childhood uh, siblings, except, you know, there was a lot of silence where I grew up. And in group therapy, you get to act out basically the person you like one week, you can't stand them the next week, and you get to share it with them. Mm -hmm. So you get to, you know, role play, um, and then eventually be able to bring that same ability into the relationships in the real world. It was an amazing journey. Because growing up in a home that's, I call it emotionally constipated, Mm -hmm. uh, it was really a typical, you know, I I used to say just Irish, but, you know, I've had people say, well, I'm Italian and we had the same quietness and then there's American. So it really is not to do with nationality, but it's, there's a, you know, we just lack that connection. I I love the expression that um, my therapist described me one time. He said, you're like a piece of Swiss cheese. And uh, he said, the holes are just, you know, the parts where you were uninformed. And I liked that because I didn't have to judge myself as, you know, broken or, you know, stupid or whatever it is. I was uninformed because I grew up in a home that didn't have the skills to teach me. And therefore, then it became my own responsibility you know, at a certain age where I needed to, you know, decide I want something better for myself. And like you said, you know, when did you decide that? And it was after I got sober. I needed to get sober. If anyone is still drinking or drugging, it's impossible to see life the way it needs to be seen. The glasses are just too stained. You need new lenses. And do you feel that to come out of using drugs or alcohol, uh, abusing those, is, do you need support in that? Is, is a person able to just stop that on their own? They could possibly stop it on their own, but a lot of times it's, it's less about the drinking. You know, there, there's, there's a term we use, a dry drunk, and that's really somebody that stops drinking and is not getting any recovery. What happens, and you know, you will learn this over the years, when we start drinking or the, the abuse starts, we stop growing emotionally. So let's say we, we start drinking at 12 or 13 or 14, we stop at 40. Now we're behaving like 12 or 13-year-olds. So we absolutely do need help to grow up emotionally. And um, again, that's why I, I went to AA meetings for almost 20 years or more. Uh, I still, you know, think it's an amazing place for people to go. There's a whole process, a 12-step program for alcohol. Uh, I just had a lot more going on than just my drinking. And, you know, they always say, and I I love this line, it says, you know, when you stop drinking, you no longer have a drinking problem, you have a thinking problem. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's all about, really. It's it's the, the dialogue that we say to ourselves every day, how we perceive stuff. And it's inevitable not to have a distorted image of ourselves 
when we come from trauma. Impossible. Right. So it is very critical to seek out help. And there is much of that help, even during this pandemic time, even with the Zoom meetings, people can still really get the help they need, don't you think? Yes. Zoom is brand new to me as well. Over this past year and a half, uh, one of the women's meetings I run is uh, through Zoom. And uh, a lot of people that are now getting sober, they can't imagine in-person meetings, which I smile and say to myself, I'm so glad it was in person. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with your first experience of that journey of recovery, you know, and, and if it is Zoom. And there's so many people that I, I do work with and have met that got sober during this pandemic, and they are so blessed to have the meetings at home where they can literally sit at their desk, take a break from work, and, and get on and, and connect. Connection is crucial for someone that's trying to, you know, stay clean or sober. It really is the key. Connect with someone that's not going to judge you, someone that will hold space for you, someone that will will get you. Let us mention your website, since we've kind of alluded to it, so that people are aware of what is available and the coaching that you do, Concepta. Yeah, my website is concepta.life, and that's spelled with, um, it's a concept with an A at the end, dot life. And I have some free resources also there that they can look at to, you know, like I said, you have to name what's going on. And these resources are about, you know, identifying if you are in an abusive relationship. And there's a whole list of various questions to ask yourself. Uh, just like there are, you know, 20 questions to ask if you, you know, are an alcoholic. And of course, if you answer, you know, three or more, chances are you might have a problem with alcohol and I remember going through them. I'm like, oops, <laughs> I had like 16 yeses. But it's it. we need validation like that sometimes because we lie to ourselves. It wasn't that bad or, you know, oh, he's drinking too. Or, you know, you come up with excuses and then you gravitate towards people like yourself. And, and that is a thing that that gravitation so that if we do not heal those wounds from our past, they end up being like a magnet, don't they? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's like an unconscious connection you make. I always say that, you know, the very first relationship I got into when I got sober, I was like 25. I think I met probably one of the most emotionally constipated <laughs> souls in America. And it was like, like my dad, I loved him for every ounce of him, but he was so emotionally constipated. And that was a very comfortable and familiar zone to be in. Like I wouldn't know what to do with a guy that, you know, was plugged in emotionally that wanted to care for me and, you know, admire my, I, I, I would probably run for the hills because I had no foundation of that. And luckily I was in therapy at the time and I'd started group therapy and the more evolved I got in my work and in my therapy, the less connected I felt with this guy. And he was a good soul, but he just was, you know, I picked him. And I, I always say we dated for about six months, and then I spent the next four and a half years trying to change him and mold him into someone he could never possibly be. And then I just needed to get to a place of acceptance and just 
love him and, and release him, you know, just let him go. Because I, I knew we had come as far as we, we could. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, I think it speaks volumes for any of us to relate to some piece of it or all of it, actually. Uh, but it's important to know that it was a time to let go of that, where some people may feel, oh, no, I, I'm i determined. I'm going to make this work. I got started. I, I can make this, you know, just having that bullish determination. Yes, and especially if, you know, you went through a couple of, like, painful times together and you, you say to yourself, oh, I've been through so much. And like, I was so in love with this guy's potential. I thought it was him I was in love with, but I was really in love with his potential. And I'll never <laughs> forget this sweet lady at an AA meeting said to me one time, she said, potential and a dollar fifty will get you a cup of tea. And I was <laughs> like, oh, but I love him. You know, and I'd be like, and it'd be like, again, I look back and it's like, I love the life I had created for us which really didn't include the actual guy that I was with because he was on his own journey. Very selfish, very self-centered. And again, it was comfortable and familiar for me to be with someone like that. Mm. So a real growth awareness that went on for you at that point. Yes. And like I said, because I'd been in group therapy and individual therapy, I was developing deeper and deeper and deeper relationships with these people in group therapy. I'll never forget, it was a Thursday night, I'd have group therapy, and I would meet this guy for dinner afterwards, and I'd leave group therapy where we were all either, you know, interacting or connecting, and sometimes it wasn't fun, but it was, you know, we would tell each other what we think and feel, and I'd be all pumped up and excited and felt a real connection. Then I'd go and have dinner with this guy, and I'd want him to be able to engage with me. And he wanted to tell me about his golf game or his work. And it just felt so empty. I remember lying in bed so many nights with him with tears pouring down my eyes, feeling so lonely and alone, and yet not being able to, you know, I was afraid to be alone for a good chunk of those times. It was why I stayed, you know. He cheated on me, and he... You know, I always say I know how to be faithful. I just choose a partner that didn't. Uh, but I learned so much about myself in that relationship. And that's the other thing. A lot of relationships, you know, people are put in our lives to help us, you know, heal, grow, evolve. Or sometimes people are put in our lives to help us get in touch with the pain and the anger. And we would love if they could be the ones that help us through. But sometimes they're limited. And if they're not in their own journey of growth, it almost becomes impossible. And that means you just want to change each other. And that doesn't work. Trust me on that one. Mm -hmm. And that is what is we can look at is so beautiful about life is that we we can look at this as experiences that are here to teach us. And what am I to learn and to it takes time to to grow through some of that and to finally let go, as you say, of that relationship. But to be able to realize, oh, they came here for this reason. And I think it makes it easier as we move on, like, OK, what am I to learn? And to get to the place eventually of maybe there will be this long lasting relationship if that's what's meant to be. Yes, and rather than holding on to, so many people want to hold on just in case, and what if I don't meet somebody else, and, you know, that's such a beautiful opportunity for them to look in the mirror and give themselves the love they yearn for, give themselves the respect they, they want. Go buy yourself flowers, 
take a bath, be in camp, do everything. It's like love and treat and respect yourself the way you want to be loved and treated and respected. Instead of sitting around waiting for some knight in shining armor, who's got a lot of luggage. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're hidden luggage and sometimes they're external. And, and expecting them to like you know, read your mind and fill your voids. And it, first of all, it's not fair and it's also not realistic. You know, unless you meet someone that wants to be obsessed with you and control you, and that's a whole other journey of pain. And again, a lot of us who come from, you know, brokenness or comes from trauma are going to be attracted to that. Obsession can feel like love. Um, Stalking can feel like love. Someone texting you a hundred times a day, it's like, oh, he cares so much about me. He wants to know where I am. I'm thinking, oof. <laughs> it was a time that was appealing to me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, not not anymore. And so that's the evidence of where the abuse is there, but we may not see it just because we are so accustomed to that kind of behavior and action. Uh that we we need to wake up and and so what do we do as the first step to waking up when it's when when it you know the younger you are the 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 harder it is because it becomes normal like we walk around thinking this is normal and we've never really experienced what a healthy beautiful mature relationship is like we don't want to let go of something that might be not exactly fulfilling us or you know that's the, the stalker or whoever, because again, it translates to us as love. And unless and until we do realize whether it's, you know, unfortunately, some people really need to get physically hurt. And even then, it, it um, they don't get it. You know, it really depends on, and it's scary. It's a scary thought to have to look in the mirror. But I guarantee you, it is a lot more frightening to stay in a sick relationship than it is to look in the mirror. I used to say to my therapist all the time, well, what's around the corner when I deal with that? Who am I going to be when I deal with this? <laughs> he would look at me and laugh. He goes, you think I have a crystal ball? I'm like, well, you're a therapist. You should know. And, uh, and we discovered it together. We discovered me. You know, I, For the first probably three or four years after I got sober, and any time I would speak at an AA meeting, my first sentence was, my therapist, my therapist, my therapist, because I didn't have a concept to talk about. I didn't even know what I liked to eat. I didn't know what I liked to drink. I didn't even know my proper, like, shoe size. It's like, it, it was so amazing as to, I was clueless as to about, about me. I was like, a, you know how people say you become like a, a doormat? I was like wall-to-wall carpet. You know, you have a lot of neuroses of, you know, people pleasing and codependency. And uh, it was such a relief when I first went to therapy. And I think I probably shared my life story in the first two or three meetings with my therapist. And it took three sessions. And I remember thinking, am I going to make the cut here? You know, I was like, didn't really understand why he wanted to meet with me three times before he decided. Looking back now, I know he wanted to make sure you know, I wasn't suicidal or homicidal or schizophrenic because he just didn't deal with that type of personality. 
And he wanted to make sure that he himself was skilled enough to deal with all my stuff. And I remember saying to him, do you think I need therapy? <laughs> and he literally said to me, he said, you could fill a room full of, of therapists with each one of your issues. And I was so relieved. I know most people would probably be offended. But I was so relieved to know, okay, all right, this is just not like because of who I am, you know, that I feel the way I feel. This is because of the trauma I've gone through. And it was such a relief to know that, okay, I need help. I had no idea that I would end up where I am today. When I started journaling first, and my therapist actually said to me, you should start journaling. He goes, maybe you'll write a book. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and I'd be writing and writing, and people say, what are you doing? I'm like, write my book. And I had no, the reality of it really was not even in my mind. But it was, when I look back through all that writing, a lot of that I was doing at two in the morning because I couldn't sleep. And a lot of it I was doing because I didn't trust people. Wayne Dyer, I always say Wayne Dyer is my sponsor, even though he never knew it. But he was someone that I listened to 24-7. For the first early early years in sobriety, I slept with the radio and TV on to drown out my own chatter. It's a very, very, very confusing, scary time to be alone and not have your Band-Aid, whether your Band-Aid is alcohol or relationship or food or whatever it is. It, it's it's scary, but I'll tell you, it's nothing like being in a relationship and just feeling so alone. Mm-hmm. That's what's scary. Everything I think that I thought was scary should not have been. It, it was like I didn't have fear walking the streets of, you know, some different streets that I'd be looking for pubs at like two in the morning, but I was scared to be seen going into an AA meeting. I mean, that when I talk about the distorted thinking, like our wiring gets really crossed. I should have been scared of walking the streets at two in the morning looking for another party or a bar. Mm. And instead, I was scared to be walking into an AA meeting for help. I mean, just something as simple as that, that how, that's how distorted the, the, um, the brain and the mind can get from abuse. We are so fortunate at your openness and your vulnerability concept, which I think now you look at as probably, well, it was just the thing I needed to do for my own healing, right? Mm-hmm. And and yet there's so much of who you are and what you have experienced. And now with this book, Freedom, helping us to gain more insights and find where that resonates in some part of our being and where we are to move forward on this road of of becoming whole and healthy and just becoming ourselves. Mm-hmm. Becoming comfortable in your own skin with just who you are. And I know we're, we're running low on time, but right. the forgiveness is, that. we could spend another half hour talking about that, but forgiveness is the greatest gift you will ever give yourself. And that is another word that can get distorted. Forgiveness is like, I'm not going to forgive so-and-so. It's not about the so-and-so. Forgiveness is about letting go of of the pain you carry as a result of what was done to you. I always say, you don't have to have a picnic with the person you forgive. And they don't even ever need to know you forgive them. Again, the forgiveness is about yourself. Yes. Yes, thank you That's for... true freedom. 
There you go. Exactly. And so let's mention uh, once again your website because I think there is then more wealth of information that people can find. Concepta.life and Concepta is spelled with concept with an A at the end, dot life. And I'd be happy to answer any questions any of your listeners may have or just connect with them and help them in any any path that they may want to you know go on. It's a scary journey, but it's amazing. I wouldn't change a single day for what I feel inside today. And there, there is the gift to really be able to live life to its fullest and, and find true joy. From the inside out. It is an inside job. As we've heard, and now you're underscoring that for us, well, Concepta McNamara, it's really been such a wonderful journey just in a half hour to take with you. Thank you for, so greatly for who you are and all the great work that you are doing. Thank you so much, Kate, for this opportunity. Blessings to you. And to you. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Concepta McNamara and Sunday Morning Magazine with Bob Krulish. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, k-a-t-e-d, at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, Find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of time together to listen to each other with open and kind hearts and ears. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 1069. Good morning and happy Halloween.